Well, it's been such a great privilege for me to be with you these last uh, couple of weeks in your pastor's absence. And uh, most of you know that your pastor was honored here recently. He was chosen to be among a select group of evangelicals to meet with some of our political candidates and discuss some issues related to faith and politics. And so I'm confident that uh, Brother Chris has been sharing with our politicians uh, truth about our faith and perhaps sharing hair tips with a particular political candidate. <laughs> but it's been a great honor for me to be here with you this morning. I want to share with you a word of encouragement. With, with everything that we've seen here in the news recently, I wanted to remind you of what I believe to be one of the greatest spiritual truths you and I need to know today, and that is that God is a big God. You know, with all the political instability and the market volatility, sometimes it's easy to lose perspective. It's easy to lose sight of that, that truth that we've always known it, but sometimes we just need to be reminded. God's a big God. On April 23rd, 2009, astronomers from the Gemini Observatory, they observed what was at that time the farthest object from Earth ever recorded. It was a gamma ray burst that they saw that they documented to be 13 billion light years from Earth. Now that number was so astronomical, it was hard for me to kind of put in perspective. And so I began looking at the pictures of this gamma ray burst, and here's what I saw. I saw one particular picture that had a, a number down there at the bottom, and it said miles from Earth. And it's been a long time since high school math, and so I had to look up this number. It was the number 764 with 20 zeros after it. That many miles from Earth. And so I began to kind of calculate. It's not million billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, 76 sextillion, 400 quintillion miles from earth. And I began to kind of put that in perspective. That's just what we can see today. Who knows? Only God knows what is yet out there in the vast universe that God created. And then I began to think, how small are we? in perspective of the vastness of God's creation. I began to put in perspective the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 8 when he said, What is man that you even take thought of him? Years ago, between my high school and first year in college, I was a summer missionary. For the summer, we traveled from one location to another uh, leading Bible stories and talking about our faith and teaching the children songs. And one of the songs that we taught them every location was this song, Our God is So Big. The words are, our God, my God is so big, he's so strong and mighty, there's nothing my God can't do. And so we went from one location to another just teaching the song, my God is so big. And really it's the truth that We've known all of our lives, but sometimes we, we lose perspective of the greatness of God. And so I want to spend a few moments with you this morning talking about how great God is. I want to remind you of this fundamental truth. Our God is so big. 
If you brought your Bible this morning, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 40, and I want to begin reading the very last verse of Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to step back in just a few moments and look at the context, but I want to begin with Isaiah 40, verse 31. It's a verse that you may already be familiar with. It's really the last verse. It begins with a word of contrast. And so as we move forward through the text, we'll see exactly what is being contrasted. But look with me in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Here's the words of the prophet Isaiah. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Now you immediately see that word of contrast that stands out at the beginning of verse 31. And so you have to begin asking the question, what is being contrasted here in verse 31? And so to get that, you have to step back and look at the the whole context of Isaiah chapter 40. And even further, to go back into Isaiah chapter 39 and see the comparison and contrast between these two chapters side by side. Indeed, Isaiah chapter 39 is a message of judgment from the Lord. It is a message that is God is a holy and righteous judge who judges sin, even the sin of his people. And so Isaiah 39 ends with that message of woe and judgment, assuring the people God is a holy God. But when you begin Isaiah chapter 40, there is a stark contrast that's juxtaposed between the last verse of 39 and the first verse of chapter 40. In my translation, the very first word is a word that says comfort. In fact, it's so significant, God says it twice. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, cry out to her. Her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord double for her sins. And you see immediately this word that is standing out as the theme of this chapter. It is a message of comfort in the midst of the people's fear. In the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of the trials that they are facing, God is reminding them, while he is a just God, he is also a God of comfort. And he wants to remind his people not just what he's doing, but who he is. He is the God of all comfort. And so the passage reminds us of the comfort that we have in the midst of our affliction. And so no sooner had the prophet reminded us of God's justice, we find this message of comfort. And then in the first 11 verses, the prophet gives us five reasons why we have comfort in the Lord. You see the theme there in verse 1, comfort. Yes, comfort my people. And then beginning in verse 2, you see immediately what is the first reason why we have comfort in the Lord. We have comfort in the Lord because God in his grace offers pardon for your sin. Perhaps the greatest truth that you and I will ever learn in our lives is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
The Bible promises we have comfort in God's grace. And so God stands out in the text, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received double from the Lord for her sins. Now remember, this is a message of comfort. The, the verse is not saying God is repaying your sin double. He's not saying that he's giving twice as much judgment as you have sin. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. What he's saying is God has more grace than you have sin. The word really has a similar connotation that we have in English. It really means to cover. If I have a piece of paper in one hand and I take another piece of paper and I fold it over the first one. I've doubled it over. We use that in English. If you've been over too far laughing, we say you're doubled over laughing. That's really the connotation of what this word is. The Bible is not saying God's judging you more than your sin deserved. What he's saying is God is covering over your sin with his grace. God is offering grace that only comes from an almighty, supernatural, omnipotent God. God in his grace offers pardon for your sin. It's a message that all of us today need to hear. It's a word of comfort that you and I still today, in the midst of our times of chaos, in the midst of the judgment you and I deserve from God, we need the grace of God. And maybe today you need the grace of God ultimately seen in Jesus Christ. Maybe today God is extending his grace to you. In the midst of your time of chaos, God in his grace is offering, offering pardon to you. God says, comfort my people because God in his grace offers pardon for your sin. But not only do we have comfort in God's grace, the Bible tells us in verses 3 and 4, we have comfort in God's power. God in his power is working in your life. Look at verses 3 and 4. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight, and the rough places will be made smooth. It's a passage that uh, we we see later in the New Testament in the Gospel of John talking about how John the Baptist paved the way, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. But here, this passage is talking about the power of God working in your life. We have comfort today not just because of God's grace, but we have comfort because of God's power. God in his power is working in your life. Now look at what God's power is doing. He's making crooked places straight. And he's making rough places smooth. Now, most of us, if we were honest before God, we've got some crooked places in our lives that need to be straightened out. We've got some rough things that need to be smooth. And the Bible is saying that's what God is doing. That's what God in his power, doing what only God can do. We have comfort today because God offers us grace and because God's power is able to do things in our lives that only God's power can do. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We have comfort today because God in his grace offers pardon for your sin. We have comfort today because God in his power is working in your life. But now look at the next verse and we see a third reason why we have comfort in the Lord. We have comfort because God in his glory is making himself known to you. 
Verse 5 says, The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, throughout Scripture, the glory of the Lord represents a tangible manifestation of the presence of God. We saw the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. Later, in Solomon's day, we saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And whenever you see that image of the glory of God, you see it promised in the book of Ezekiel, it manifests God's presence, something about God that is so overwhelming, something about the tangible presence of God in our lives, and Isaiah is, pre- is promising that God in his glory is making himself known to you. God wants to reveal himself to you, just like Moses prayed to the Lord, God, show me your glory. The prophet's reminding us God's doing that for you. God in his glory is making himself real to you. God wants to make himself close. God wants to make himself real in your life. Maybe today you need the tangible manifestation of God. Maybe you're facing struggles that no one else but you and God understand. And you need the glory of God. Maybe you're facing a wasteland that feels like the desperate absence of everyone, even God, and you need to be reminded of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God in your life. Take comfort today because God in his glory is making himself real to you. Ultimately, you and I know the presence of God through his word. We know through his son, Jesus Christ. We know the intimacy through the Holy Spirit. God in his glory is making himself real to you. Speak comfort, God says to my people, because of my grace. Speak comfort because of my power. Speak comfort because of my glory. But then look further, beginning in verse 6, we have comfort today because God in his word is speaking. Look what the Bible says in verse 6. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and the loveliness is like flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You have comfort today because God's word endures forever. In the midst of all of our uncertainty, in the midst of all things that are changing, we have one thing in our lives that is always certain. It is always true. In the midst of the untruth that we face, in the noise of all of the things that surround us, we have an absolute, fundamental word of God that never changes. You and I have comfort today because of the power of God's word. We have God's word. We have God's promise. We have what God is saying to us. It's not just words that God said to a generation a long time ago. It is God's fresh word for you today. You and I have comfort today because God's word speaks. Because God's word is true. Billy Graham said it's more current than tomorrow's newspaper. It's truth for your life. We have comfort today because of God's grace. We have comfort today because of God's power. We have comfort today because of God's glory. We have comfort today because of God's word. And then we note finally we have comfort today because God's coming. And we see it ultimately in Christ. Look at verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up to the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand. His arm will rule for him. His reward is with him. His works are before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather his lambs with his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom. He'll gently lead those who are young. Speak comfort today to my people, God says, because I'm coming back. And you and I have comfort today because God is returning in Christ. Now, you and I know that the words that are prophesied here in Isaiah were ultimately fulfilled in Christ, and we know that physical presence of Christ there on earth, but we also see even a future promise here that God in Christ is coming again. The prophet is saying, go up to a high mountain, lift up your voice as loud as you can, and proclaim to the nations, God is coming You see the intimacy there where the the prophet is describing the coming of God. The Lord God will come with a strong hand. His arm will rule for him. His reward is with him. His work is before him. And then you see those verbs there in verse 11, four actions with ever-increasing intimacy. He'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather his lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom. He'll gently lead those who are young. We have comfort today because God's coming. And when God comes, he comes in power. He comes in glory. He comes in truth. And he comes for his people. The Bible tells us we have comfort today. Now, beginning in verse 12, you have what is really the second half of the message that Isaiah is sharing, and it's really a series of rhetorical questions intended to press home the message that God has already been giving through the prophet. We have comfort today. Now, he's already told us five reasons why we have comfort, and you see those in the first 11 verses, but now there's a change in the tone of the writing. And so beginning in verse 12, you see why we have comfort, and so the Bible tells us, beginning with this rhetorical question, you and I don't know all that God is doing. We only know a fraction of who God is and what God is doing. Look at that question there in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, measured the heavens with a span? Who's calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales or the hills in the balance? Who has understood even the beginning of the greatness of God? Can you measure how big God is? We can't even measure our universe. We can't even measure the the things that we can see. Can you imagine the greatness of God who did all of that? Can you imagine how big God is? And so the prophet is reminding us, we only know just a fraction of the things that God has done. But then he tells us not only, you see there in verse 13, do we only know a fraction of what God has done. We see beginning in verse 13, God doesn't need my advice. God doesn't need anything that I bring to him. God doesn't need any counsel. And if God ever wanted counsel, the prophet says he wouldn't come to you. Verse 13, who's directed the spirit of the Lord or been his counselor so as to teach him? Who is it that gives God advice? Who is it that God would go to? Because the the prophet is reminding us God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your insight. He doesn't need your instruction. He doesn't need your permission. God doesn't need any counsel that you and I could bring before him. He's bigger than you and I can imagine. He's smarter than you and I can understand. And so when you get to verse 18, the prophet kind of sums it up and says, who's like him? 
Who would you liken to God? If you were to try to think of someone to compare with God, can you come up with a facsimile, some, something that you'd say sort of approximates God, this, this image or this thing or, or this person? Who, who's like God? Well, look at the question there in verse 18. To whom will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? Well, you see some, beginning in verse 19, who tried to do that. And there are some still today who try to make some kind of facsimiles that represent God. And so you see there, verse 19, this workman molds an image and the goldsmith overlays it with gold and the silversmith casts it with silver chains. And so you see this effort on their part, the human effort to try to be like God, to try to do things that only God can do. And so you see the prophet reminding us, there's no one to whom you can compare God. He's above other nations there in verse 15. He's above other gods in verse 19. He's above creation in verse 22. He's above other rulers in verse 23. There is no one to whom you can compare God. He's that big. He defies comparison. And so when you get to verse 21, the prophet's sort of running out of rhetorical questions, just asks that sum up question, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told you from the beginning, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth, don't you know, you've known this all along, the prophet reminds us, and you've always known it, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Only God is like God. There is no other to whom you can compare him. There's no one like him. There's no one above him. He sits above the circle of the earth. And so you work your way through all of this in the first 24 verses to get to what is really the climax, the turn of the chapter in verse 25, where now God begins to speak. All this time the prophet's been speaking, to whom will you liken God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Now God steps in in verse 25, to whom will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Lord? Lift up your eyes on high and see the one who created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them by name. By the greatness of his might, by the strength of his power, none are missing. To whom, says God, will you liken me? When you get to verse 27, you find the application. All of a sudden now, God brings the message home to his people, and you see them, him calling them by name in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel? Literally, why do you keep on saying? Why do you keep on speaking? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God. In light of everything that you know about God, in light of the fact that God is above everything, God created everything, he has all power, why would you say then, God can take care of the universe, but he cannot take care of me? Why would you say my way is hidden from God? Why would you say my just claim has been missed by God as though God can take care of everything but you? prophet is reminding the people their view of God was too small. Their picture of God needed to be expanded. Why would you think you're the exception, the prophet says, as though God can do whatever God wants, but, but this is too much for God, and maybe I need to give God some assistance. But the truth is, you don't have a care that God doesn't know, and you don't have a need that God cannot meet. 
The prophet shifts focus back to God in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. This God whom we worship, this creator God, the God of all the universe, this is the God who is in sovereign control of our lives. He's the everlasting God, the one who controls eternity. He's the Lord, the one who possesses all authority. He's the creator, the one who has all power. He is unlimited. He has no limitations. He's all-knowing. And then in light of all of that, he's your provider. And since he doesn't grow weary and has unlimited power and resources, he is able to give power to the weak. He he has power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Everything And everyone else will fail. But those who wait on the Lord. Isn't it odd? We wait on traffic lights and trains. We wait on bank lines and grocery lines. We wait on internet connections. We wait for toast to pop and water to boil. We wait for movies and ball games. We wait for phone calls and people to show up. We wait for buses to come and planes to land and car lines to move. We wait our turn in the doctor's office, the dentist's office, the barber shop, the beauty salon. We wait for next week, a day off of vacation. Why is it we are so impatient with God? Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. You see, the message is a message of comfort. Speak comfort. Yes, speak comfort to my people. God is bigger than your need. And those who wait on him will gain new strength. I'm so glad that God gives new strength. I've used up all the previous strength he gave me. But those who wait on the Lord, God gives new strength and they mount up with wings like eagles. They run and not be weary. They walk and not faint. It almost seems backwards in the text where, where he lists the flying with eagles first and then the running and then the walking. Suggesting that maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do today is wait on the Lord and walk by faith. Maybe the greatest step of faith that God is asking of you today is just to wait on him. And in the meantime, walk in the strength of faith God's given you. God wants to remind you this morning God's a big God. He's bigger than your crisis. He's bigger than your need. He's bigger than the problems that our country faces. He's bigger than the next election. He has more authority than the Supreme Court. He has no need. He has no absence. There is no time when God is asleep. You know how I know that? Because my God is so big 
He's so strong and mighty, there's nothing my God can't do. Would you bow together in prayer with me? God, we praise you today because you are a big God. We need you today. We need the faith to look to you, to turn to you in our need. So often, God, we've turned from you in our arrogance. But God, this morning, will you redirect our focus? Will you bring us back to the point where we understand our need, where we recognize who you are, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who's bigger than all the problems that we face? And so, God, today, this morning, I pray our focus will be on you. God, if the chaos continues, if the tumult and the noise around us increases, may we not lose focus. May we not turn away so that we're not walking on our own, but we're waiting on you and we're walking in your strength. God, I'm praying for any here this morning who may need to be reminded that their God is a big God. Who maybe need to be reminded of the comfort that you offer through your grace in Jesus Christ. Who maybe need to be reminded, Lord, that you're coming. So God, I pray this morning is a day when we direct our focus to you. The God of the universe, our creator, our controller, our sustainer, our redeemer, the God in whom we trust in Jesus' name. Amen.